Hi, my name is Ryder Carroll, and I'm the author of The Bullet Journal Method. And you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringle. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Ryder Carroll. Ryder is the founder of the Bullet Journal Method, and he resides in New York City. Welcome, Ryder. Thank you so much for having me. Ryder, we're going to talk about your journey about how the bullet journal came to be. But first, I'd like to ask you, when you were growing up, who's someone who inspired or influenced you that you think of today? I would think I have two answers for that. On the one hand, in a positive way, my parents, they always insisted that I do the best that I could, which I felt was a different story from the one that some of my friends' parents were saying, which was like, get A's all the time, right? They put the emphasis on me and living up to my own potential. And I feel like that shifted the way that I thought about being productive and my own ability. I wasn't holding myself to somebody else's standard. I was always holding myself to my own standard. Then the second, I think, would be some of the naysayers. So in school, I struggled a lot. I had ADD, and a lot of the kids would latch on to the fact that I was challenged in ways that they may not be. And for when you're younger, people don't really understand differences, right? And they usually target those and focus on those. And I feel like that also motivated me (laughs) in some ways. When somebody says you can't do something, for some reason, that makes me want to prove them wrong. And so on the one hand, I had loving support. On the other hand, I had the doubters. So I had a twofold incentive to do better. And yet their vectors pushed you in the same direction, didn't it? Yes, very much so. I feel like without having both, it would have been lopsided, right? If you only have the naysayers, you start to doubt yourself, which as somebody growing up with learning disabilities, there was plenty of that already. And, you know, if you only have your parents saying, do whatever you can, it might sound like they gave up. But because I had both, somehow there was a balance achieved. So yes, in the long run, I think it worked out well. I also had a teacher later on. In college, I took a metalsmithing class, and I I had the privilege of studying under this professor who had absolutely zero sense of humor, but he really demanded your absolute best. Again, it wasn't about perfection. He took the time to understand what your limitations were and would show you how to step over them, if you will, rise above them. And as, as humorless as he was, he really commanded respect in that he was always there. He would put in the time with you and he was incredibly talented. And people, you could see people just like working away on the weekends to make sure that when you had your, your session with him, when he would review your work, he wouldn't find something obvious that you could have fixed. And I loved that. It was just the first time where I really went above and beyond in a class that wasn't necessarily my focus just because the experience of becoming a better craftsman was so meaningful and validating. And that's something that I keep 
trying to bring into whatever I do. I really feel like I try to earn whatever comes next, if that makes sense. It does. I really get that because the professor, do you remember his name? It was Peterson. Professor Peterson was able to let each of you know in the class that he has high standards and encouraged you to adopt them as your own. So it wasn't just him holding you to the standard, but teaching you to hold yourself to high standards. I think that was the appeal. Yes. And that you could too. Like at the beginning, I had no idea what I was doing in that class. None. I had no background information. And by the end of that class, I was so much further along in my skill level than I was in classes that I had been doing on and off for years, you know, throughout middle school, high school. And it was in like metalsmithing, which is an incredibly complicated thing to get right. It, it requires a level of finesse that I really would not have imagined beforehand. And especially when somebody is so meticulously checking your work constantly. So not only that I needed to, but that I could. So was Professor Peterson's belief in you as well that allowed you to tap into finding ways to learn the material and apply it? And what I love about this is that a lot of people listening, and especially entrepreneurs, have struggled with ADD and all sorts of other dyslexia and learning disabilities. And it's one of the things that causes us to step into an alternative way of starting businesses and pursuing our own creative careers. And what you've done is not only been able to achieve the objectives of the course, but you probably also left there believing more in yourself generally and your ability to learn and succeed in these kinds of environments. Do you think that's true? I definitely think that's true. And he also, no pun intended, hammered in an idea that was really effective to me younger on in life, which is essentially that you have the ability to solve your own challenges more so than you think you do, right? So. When I was struggling in school much younger, I started to realize that my notes were kind of useless because I couldn't write as fast as the teacher would be talking. And I'd spend all my attention just trying to capture whatever was there. And then I couldn't read my handwriting and it was a mess. And I started to realize that I could pay attention much better if I was drawing in class. Like for some reason, that grasping part of my mind was just occupied in a way that allowed me to actually hear what was being said. The problem is that teachers generally speaking don't really appreciate the fact that you're doodling while they're talking. So what I would do is I'd pretend to be taking notes and when they wouldn't be looking, then I'd start drawing. And one teacher, Mrs. Lobinger, actually an English teacher of mine, picked up on the fact what was going on and she pulled me aside and she said, I realize that every time you're doodling, you're actually paying attention. But if you're looking at me, you're not. <laughs> Back then, you're looking towards the tall folks for answers. You know, it's like your parents, your teachers, maybe your older siblings. It doesn't occur to you that you have to come up with your own answers or your own solutions. And more importantly, that you can and that's okay. And when you get older, you realize that not only is that possible, but that's really important that you develop your problem-solving ability as well as getting better at asking the right questions. I hope everyone listening understands that that is such an essential element to success, no matter what endeavor or career you choose. However, it's particularly important when you're choosing to start a business, be an entrepreneur, own and grow a business. Writer, tell me, when you started working, you also had a side hustle. Tell me about how that got started and what you learned in the process of starting your own business as a side hustle. So at the time, I was an art director for a very large fashion company in New York. 
And I had spent a large part of my career earning that title and earning that position. But somehow I just didn't feel like it was very fulfilling to me. I guess in my peer space, the idea was that the ultimate position for a designer would be to be their own boss and run their own company. And the idea of building something from scratch really appealed to me. So I partnered up with a developer who had come up with this interesting algorithm to transform color spaces. And I'll get into why that's important in a second. And together, we formed this company to create custom paint-by-number kits. You would send in your photo, and then you would receive a kit with your photo broken down into these small different areas that were numbered. And then we paired those with colors that were specifically created for the kit. Both of us had full-time jobs, and we were both quite senior in the positions that we were, but both of us wanted to run a business. And we spent about two years outside of work on top of our full-time jobs doing this. We worked nights, weekends. We did the whole startup hustle, you know, ordering pizza for breakfast, sleeping under tables. We gave it everything we had. And we both used this because we thought it was going to fill a space, right? Both of our jobs weren't really fulfilling. So we spent all of our time working on this. And after two years, we launched. We were moderately successful right out of the gate. We hadn't taken out any outside investment and money started rolling in. Everything seemed great. And I remember the first day after we launched, I ordered one of our own kits just to make sure that the website was working, that everything was in place. And about a week later, I received the package in the mail and I took it out and there was the box I designed, the logos, the colors, the paintbrushes and everything. And by the time I got up to my apartment, something struck me. It was two years worth of work. I had done everything that I was supposed to. I had been incredibly productive and it all just didn't seem to matter. And I was like, oh, maybe that's just you know something that happens post-launch or whatnot. But as the days and weeks rolled by, that, that sense of meaninglessness was pervasive. More so, what I found to be interesting, I wasn't alone in this. My partner felt the same way. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I had gotten everything that I wanted. I had accomplished this incredibly ambitious goal. I had done everything I said I would, and yet I got nothing out of it. The product was good. It was People enjoyed it. Everything worked. The only people who weren't enjoying it for me and my partner. And, and you got to a point where you were feeling this emptiness and lack of fulfillment. You said to your partner, gosh, this is so strange. I think we did everything we could do to make this successful. And it didn't hit the mark for us in this very important way, which caused us to dedicate all of this crazy time and make these sacrifices. What did you do next? Well, I started asking myself a question. And it started with this feeling. It's like, I don't want this. And that led to another question, which was, well, what do you want? And all of a sudden, I realized that I didn't know. And every answer that I was giving wasn't my answer at all. Like I could hear the people who had told me about all these different goals, all the things that I wanted weren't actually my own. They were either from my peers or stuff that I had from had seen on social media or like everything that I wanted was not my own because I never really asked myself, what do I want? And a really important moment because I wondered if I was alone in this. 
And I started asking people who were very close to me, it's like, do you know what you want? And then I would get one of two reactions. One, people started looking at me kind of quizzically because they know they should have an answer to this, but they don't. And then the second group of people would start rattling off a lot of different, I would say, platitudes, right? I want my own company. I want a house. I, you know, all these things that we're, I guess, instructed to want, things that should make us happy. But then I would ask them another question, which is, why do you want those things exactly? And that was the question that changed everything to me or for me. When I started trying to deconstruct why I wanted what I wanted, I realized that half the time my answers weren't truthful. They weren't based on my lived experiences. They were guesses based on the the things that society wants us to strive for. And sometimes that makes sense, but a lot of times it doesn't. Building the company was something I enjoyed, but the company itself is like, I didn't want to run a paint-by-numbers company. And and if you're going to run a business, it should be a business that you want to grow, something that you want to spend your time and energy investing in. And that was a question that I should have asked two years prior to having this realization. What's interesting, Ryder, is that you went ahead and did this because you were working off of borrowed answers. You were borrowing the answers that people said you should start a company because that'll give you the fulfillment and meaning that you were craving and anticipating achieving. But because you work with borrowed answers, when you finally got to that point, they didn't suffice because they weren't your genuine, your authentic answers. Is that accurate? That's exactly correct. I wasn't asking myself the right questions early enough. So what changed that for you? It gave me the experience I needed to ask that question and never to forget it. And building that company, I took away an incredible amount of skill sets as well. So it wasn't completely wasted. It was just that like we set the wrong goal. It was the wrong company to build. That's all. I feel like those two years were, were the tax that I paid for that awareness. And then obviously, once you had the right question, the idea to build a company around this time management system just became apparent, right? I don't think that that, <laughs> it's not that linear at all, I would say. Let's put it this way. When, when Pain to Pick ended, the problem was that it felt meaningless. So the question, a lot of times people strive for what? Like, what is the goal behind all the goals? And I think that by and large, the answer is to be happy. That makes sense. People want to feel good. They want to be happy. But I feel that it's also a major distraction to focus on happiness because happiness is emotion. It comes and goes. This, this is not a realistic goal. So for me, the problem was not that like this feels, this feels meaningless. And the opposite of feeling meaningless isn't happy. The opposite of meaningless is meaningful. So what happened next was trying to figure out ways that I could invest my time and energy into things that would feel meaningful. And until this day, that's really been the guiding principle of how I operate. I don't always get it right, but by and large, it completely changed the way that I operated. Over time, it allowed me to do what I do today. So let's fast forward to today, where you have the bullet journal method which is a compilation and synthesis of years of work. And it may have even started way back when you were in English class in elementary school, starting to doodle in order to remember things better for yourself. But you've now systematized it. And as I read through the bullet journal, one of the things that I thought I was just struck with how thoroughly this has been 
honed. And I'm coming up with words that talk about the craftsmanship that you learned kind of in your metalsmithing course, because it is so finely polished and you've thought through things so exhaustively that people could pick this up, look it for a tool that'll help them solve a problem. And if they work the process, it's designed to help you unearth, connect with, or bridge gaps that might not have been available otherwise. What do you look at at the bullet journal method as accomplishing now? And what is your hope that for people as they adopt it? I think that the main focus of the bullet journal is to learn more about yourself. And it does so by helping you get into the habit of challenging yourself and asking yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? I feel that a lot of us right now nearly worship productivity. And like in my own experience, you can be working very productively towards the wrong things. You can be working very efficiently towards the wrong things. And I feel that it's really important to continuously take a step back and think about why you're investing your time and energy into the things that you're doing and doing so on a, on a really granular basis. I think we ask ourselves why the, the big why in moments of crisis when things go wrong. But I feel like if we get into the habit of doing it every day for smaller things like why am I doing the dishes? Even that, right? All of a sudden, your mind starts to ask these questions in a different way and see your to-do lists in different ways. Like in the bullet journal, a task list isn't a bunch of stuff that you have to do. Every item on that list is an experience waiting to be born. This is what's shaping your future actively. Is that the future that you want to have? When you start seeing things through that lens, you cross off a lot more things from your list. When you realize what's at stake on a regular basis, you get much more comfortable with seemingly existential questions because you can see how practical this, this daily routine of reflecting on the things that you write down becomes. So that's, I would say, the biggest takeaway. It helps people invest their time and energy with things that matter to them based on what based on their lived experience, based on the things that they've defined to be meaningful. And that's very different for everybody. I really hope that everyone listening to your definition there, writer, takes away that a task list really has much more depth to it when it's connected to your reasons or your why for doing the tasks you're doing. That's such a great insight. Yeah. People always challenge me. It's like, like, what about doing the dishes? That's not meaningful. And then I would challenge that with, well, it's like, why are you doing the dishes, for example? Because that's something I think most of us have to deal with. Well, if you're doing the dishes because your spouse is the one responsible for cooking and you not doing the dishes means that you're not being a good partner and that relationship is important to you, all of a sudden this really mundane thing becomes meaningful. Do you, does it make you happy to do the dishes? No, but all of a sudden it's infused with some sort of meaning and purpose. This is the way you give back. This is your part to play. And I feel like in general, People are most frustrated when they don't feel like they're contributing, when they feel like their work is meaningless. And I feel like a lot of times it's our responsibility to find the meaning in what we're doing. And we can do that if we just take the time to do so, even with something as simple as doing the dishes or scheduling meetings. Like, why are we having the meeting about the meeting from the other meeting, right? And you slowly start to tackle questions like that. When your mind starts operating in that way, you start being able to define causes a lot quicker. Like I think what the root problem is when something is a challenge 
you don't just stay on surface level. Like the dishes aren't important at surface level, but when you realize it's connected to your relationship and your the well-being of your home life, all of a sudden you understand why that's important in your professional life. Also, it's like the meeting example. I get that all the time. People always have meetings that seem completely useless. And for me, like bullet journaling also allows me to go through this exercise I call the five whys. The five whys works like this. Essentially, you identify a challenge. Let's say the meeting about the meetings from the other meeting. Why are we having this meeting? Oh, well, because last time they talked about all these things that weren't related to the original purpose. Okay, why did that happen? Because there was no agenda for the meeting. Why? All of a sudden, you have a really good question there. Why was there no agenda? Maybe next time you are the one who sets the agenda and makes sure that this meeting actually goes forward. It helps people identify root causes and then take proactive action in order for things to happen in a better way, because some meetings are meaningless. (laughs) Yes. You, You can't just retrospectively say, oh, okay, so that's what the meaning of it was. But it was maybe a, a poorly planned meeting. And if, if it was a poorly planned meeting, then you can do something about it once you understand really what the problem is that you're solving. Exactly. It's just trying to not take things at surface level. I mean, bullet journaling is very much about just taking the time to think, which is something that I don't think we have enough time with. We've essentially, technology has cured downtime. Right? At any point in the day, you can distract yourself in some way. And a key feature of bullet journaling is that it's analog. Right, As soon as you open that notebook, you're offline. And once you're offline, you can engage with your experience in a different way. Right, Everything that we write down in our bullet journal is a record of our life. And bullet journaling encourages people to re-engage with that. You know, a to-do list is like the first step. That's fine. But as everybody knows, a to-do list can be never-ending. And then everything is a priority. And then you feel twice as overwhelmed. And you have this gigantic list you don't know what to do with. So with bullet journaling, it's about constantly trying to curate that list and, and whittling away distractions on a daily basis so you can spend time and energy with what actually matters based on what you've defined. I think that comes pretty close to what one of the biggest misunderstandings are about the bullet journal method. What gap does the bullet journal method fill or what does it do uniquely in this very crowded space of helping people understand how to structure their time to be more effective and perhaps more meaningful? Well, I think that purpose needs to be defined by each individual user. What's important to me is not important to you. And I feel that a lot of programs that I've seen, at least people give you a purpose, right? Here you go. And in my life, that it has just never really worked. Obviously, it's great to get inspiration from other people and you can learn so much. But ultimately, what is meaningful to you needs to be defined by you. And bullet journaling is designed for self-learning. All that I do is provide a foundation. Here are some tools that people can use to start that journey, but I don't define it for you and never will. It's, it's something that we have to do on our own. And that's really what bullet journaling is about. It's about learning from your lived experience and learning how to solve your own challenges. And by recording your thoughts in a certain way, and by re-engaging with your thoughts and learning from your actual experience by studying it, the emphasis and the responsibility isn't on the program. It isn't on the methodologies themselves, it's on your ability to come back to it over and over again. 
it's it's about every individual bullet journalist taking responsibility for their own life. All I do is provide the foundation, but they build their own system. The, the bullet journal is always going to meet you where you are, not where I am, right? So it becomes a tool that's completely customized to each individual. And that's, I think that's different. I think of it more as a toolkit than a tool because you have the foundation and you offer so many different ways to apply it that people could select it like tools from a toolkit. Yes, I would say that's more accurate. Yeah, I mean, there's something different for everyone. People use it for different things. And that's why this work is so exciting for me. Can you give me an example of someone who's led a business who found this to fill a gap? that wasn't being filled with other mobile tools or online desktop tools or cloud-based tools, that actually pulling out a journal and writing in it in a regular basis led to new insights or new satisfaction that wasn't available to that person before? Certainly a couple. So one person that I know runs a very large agency in Silicon Valley. She's responsible for managing a lot of different people if she's not careful, she has no time to herself at all, right? Because there are so many demands coming in from so many different locations and she has to make sure that everything runs smoothly. And she realized that her ability was deteriorating the, the larger it grew. So by pulling out her notebook, she essentially puts a pause in her day, right? And thereby she has an opportunity to a, go offline, which was the biggest problem because people could reach her at any time, anywhere. And one of the first things she realized she had to do was make sure that that wasn't possible anymore. She actually, by writing in her bullet journal, she realized that she had to start setting up barriers in order for her to A, maintain her sanity, but also to do a better job. Like she just needed a breather once in a while to be able to fully re-engage with her work. Identifying what the real challenges were. It wasn't about the fact that like, you know, the chairs needed to be in this location and these, these, colleagues weren't getting along or whatever the thing was that she was losing track of everything because she just was she was overextended so bullet journaling for her is like her way to pause and recalibrate and to actually focus on what the priorities are on an ongoing basis in a very shifting environment and that's been something that's been game-changing for her and she was able to do her job significantly better because of it and the people who work with her are much happier as well because she makes sure that the gears keep turning Let's call her Sarah. Sarah. All right. So Sarah was able to do this and, and she wasn't just working alone. She was coordinating probably with a large team, probably with outside contractors, consultants, vendors, what have you, and needed a, a way to centralize a lot of the activities that were all flowing through her, but in the process, washing away her sense of or maybe herself, but certainly her, her personal time. Yeah. So that gave her a great grounding in this example you share. And that, that's kind of the story that I get over and over again. Like there, there's a, another gentleman, let's call him John, who is actually the CEO of a company that runs a lot of educational platforms. And there are a lot of different ways you can go with where they invest their time and energy. But through bullet journaling, he's consistently been able to figure out what is most meaningful to his community. Right. And that's something that isn't that obvious when you have so many different products and resources and whatnot. Where do you actually spend your time and energy to have the largest impact on your customer or your community and that kind of thing? And a lot of that can get lost in the noise. And through bullet journaling, that is something that he's been able to 
clarify over and over and over again. So in both cases, they define what the challenge is and then figure out what the right questions are to be asking. What I like so much about the way you describe this, Carol, uh, writer, is that you're able to, people listening to this are able to use the bullet journal to gain clarity for themselves. It's not something that everyone in the company or even everyone on their team needs to go through in order to make progress. This is something that becomes very personal, whether you do it individually or as a group, but each person is able to cultivate more of the meaning that comes from reflection in a a semi-structured yet regular way. Is that fair to, to summarize it that way? Yeah, absolutely. It's designed to be customized. It's designed to be tailored to your needs. And that serves two different challenges. One is, I want to be very clear. I don't think that technology is evil in any way. It can be a great force multiplier with productivity. But technology is, information is unlimited, right? But we are very limited. Our time and our energy are very limited. So essentially, Bullet Journal plays into your larger productivity ecosystem. How it does so is very different for different people. Some people use it to refocus. Some people use it to get more organized. How you implement the bullet journal is entirely up to you. But the second part of it is that that also grants the flexibility to change, which for me was really important because as we change, as our needs change, our tools need to adapt alongside us. And that's one thing about the bullet journal, which is great. It's essentially a blank notebook and it becomes whatever you need it to be whenever you need it to be. So it evolves alongside you. And that's really important as well. Right, or needing to abandon the tool. It helps us evolve without getting in our way. Well, Ryder, you've shared so many great ideas with me on my quest for the best. And I just want to thank you for sharing what it was like early in your journey to have parents who believed in you as well as bullies at school challenge you and tell you you couldn't do things because both contributed to a strong desire for you to find your own way and do things. Thanks for sharing with us the story of Professor Peterson, who was your metalsmith teacher, Mm. who really challenged you, but also believed in you so that you adopted those high standards as your own. You talked about having a definition of busy in the book as a state of being functionally overwhelmed. And I think that really resonates with a lot of people who are running businesses today. You said that it was important for you as you were developing Paint-A-Pick in order to push to know where your limits are, in order to know what it is that you you want to accomplish and that if you're looking to put a lot of time and energy into filling a space, that what you're actually going to end up with is designed to meet that because it's your authentic goals, not somebody's borrowed goals. And the goal behind the goals, I thought, was also a very important point. We all can look and say, yes, in order to survive or make us happy, that's really an end goal, but it's not a goal. A state of emotion isn't a goal. It's something we could achieve at any point in our lives just by focusing. But the opposite of meaningless isn't happy, you said. You said it's meaningful. And it's so important to remember that we all need to pursue meaningful goals. And the bullet journal is a method and a tool for accomplishing that. And it's, it's achieved that through a great deal of flexibility and through reading the book and using the book, you know, as a workbook, I think, <laughs> you really can adopt those tools in the toolkit known as the bullet journal for your own. So for all these reasons and so many more, writer, I thank you for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you so much for having me. 
Ryder, before we say goodbye, can you tell us where to find out more about you and your work online? Certainly. If you're interested in Bullet Journal, you can go to bulletjournal.com and then we're at Bullet Journal on most social channels as well. Ryder Carroll, thank you once again. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.